a word of warning. Uh, if you are a guest, uh, you have joined us on a day when we are actually having a family meeting. And, and some of you, you know, remember this. I, I know I had, we had family meetings when I was growing up. So as a child, you know, we had these. That was when, you know, mom and dad said, tell your friends to go home, turn the TV off. Everybody meet in the living room. We're having a family meeting. And you don't have family meetings when things are going well. Uh, you have the family meeting when things are not going well. I was listening to sports radio earlier in the week, and you know the Preds are not doing so great right now. Well, earlier in the week, they're just you know a five, six-game losing streak. They lost another one earlier in the week, and I was listening to the radio, and it said they had a players-only meeting after that game. Well, that's the sports version <laughs> of a family meeting. Um, if you're not in the family, I'm not going to ask you to leave. In fact, you know, that's not what we do at church. In fact, I'm going to ask you to listen. I'm going to ask you to observe. And you've joined us on a, on a wonderful morning because I'm telling you, you're going to find out more about Fellowship Bible Church today in this family meeting uh, than it, if you were to visit here, you know, for a year. Um, I want you to know I didn't call the meeting. Rob Sweet, our lead pastor, didn't call the meeting um, the elders did not say, hey, we need to have a family meeting. Jesus said, we need to have a family meeting. And why do I say that? Because that's exactly what our text tells us this morning. And for all of us, let me say, whether family, you know, whether in the family so to, of Christ or not, uh, these words, when properly understood, okay, understood as Jesus intends, and applied in the power of the Holy Spirit will bring something that is in significant short supply, it seems, in our day. It'll bring hope. It'll bring healing. It'll bring peace. It will bring wholeness. This past week, uh, our staff team uh, spent some time reflecting on the past year as we're kind of standing on the precipice of the new year. You know, we're asked to reflect on the past year and let some of those themes and insights come to the surface so that as we look to the new year, we carry those forward. Y'all, when I did this, may I say, I, I did it with one eye on me, which is how we were instructed to do it, but I could not help but do it with one eye on the church. When I say the church, I mean Fellowship Bible Church. So I'm speaking of our church. And I, I, I reflected, and I'm speaking of the church as a whole. Let me say evangelical Christianity, uh, ch the church as a whole. And here's what struck me on that reflection. Perhaps never in, in at least in my lifetime, y'all, I would say this, has the church or, or, or have events in this world so conspired to provide the church with its greatest opportunity to offer the world what the church has, and that is the gospel of Christ. Um, what's unfolded in this past year, and I'll just grab these, COVID, you know, uh, racial issues, and a presidential election. I'm just gonna take those three. Those who've conspired to provide the church with an unbelievable opportunity to, to talk and live and share the gospel. And yet it seems, this is my opinion, it seems to me 
that the church that never has the church fumbled and missed the opportunity like we have. That's, that's my opinion. Um, now, why do I say this? And let me say, tell you why I say this. Because the need for the hope of the gospel has never been greater and the voice of the church has never been more impotent. I'm talking about our own, quite frankly. And why is this? May I say, may I suggest this? Because never have so many in the church been so at odds with each other. It's sad. Let me ask you to consider this statement, okay? So just, just consider this statement. Tell me about a family member uh, or a friend of yours with whom you see things related to COVID, racism, and the recent presidential election so different that you get a knot in your stomach. Now, I believe this. I didn't finish the sentence before you felt the tension in your chest or the knot in your stomach. So my observation is that, that COVID, racism, uh, this presidential you know, election has brought out the best in many, but I think the worst in most. I do. Many of our words to each other, I'm talking about us to each other, many of our words and actions to each other have not been informed by the Sermon on the Mount. I, I'm just telling, I, 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 I can't take some of the words I've said and go, well, that matches up the Beatitudes. No, it doesn't. Well, you may say, Lloyd, well, I'm, I've not said anything bad about anyone. You know, I got people I disagree with. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm going, great. Let me ask you this question. Have you had unkind, if not derogatory thoughts about those people who carried a different view than you on those things, even though you've never said a word. See, if I answer that, I go, well, I have sure done, I, I'm not just speaking, you know, generically, I have certainly carried that. If the Sermon on the Mount has taught us anything, you all, surely it's taught us this, we can be mute, we can never say a word, and be as divisive and be, I'll say this, be more divisive and harmful than a conspiracy website. Because the words don't have to be vocalized if they reside in the heart. So, welcome to the family meeting, you know. Let, let, me, let me put in a sentence what I'm trying to say. And this is gonna get us to the text, okay? The world is watching how we talk to and talk about each other and they are saying, quote, they are exactly who we thought they were. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Now, actually Jesus beat them to the punch. 
Because if you caught it in the reading Luke walked us through in the passage we're going through, Jesus called us hypocrites 2,000 years ago. Why do I say that? Verse five, you hypocrites. By the way, right there, he's not talking about scribes and Pharisees, you all. This is the one time he talks to his followers, me, and, and those of us who name the name of Christ, he talks to us and says, you hypocrites, the one time. Here's the good news. We've sung about it. <laughs> we will respond at the end related to it. Jesus died for hypocrites like me and like you. He rose from the grave so that we would not remain hypocrites. And he gives us these words today, you all, to deliver us from our hypocrisy if we will listen and obey. So with that, uh, the passage is, it's about seeing clearly. And so I've, I've framed it under four headings. Uh, we'll look at verses one and two, uh, and it's about discerning vision. Verses three and four, impaired vision. Verse five, clear vision. And verse six, merciful vision. I'll repeat those as we go through. Follow along in your Bibles. Let's begin with verses one and two, discerning vision. Jesus says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If, if you were to go and Google, you know, atheists' favorite verses or, you know, verses non-Christians use against Christians, I'm telling you this will be number one or it'll absolutely be number five. It's sort of like this verse is kind of like, you know, uh, it's like a cross to a vampire. He's coming to suck your blood. No, the cross will keep you away. You know, it's like, you know, people kind of, you say something about someone's life and, and people say, oh, it, the Bible says, judge not. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. You know, that's, that's how it's used. Well, well, that's not in any way the meaning of this verse nor how Jesus intends us to understand it. This verse does not mean that we must not make moral judgments about people. Uh, it means that, that we make moral judgments, but we do so with tremendous care, with biblical foundations, and, and with, with deep compassion. That it, we do make moral judgments, you all. The word judge, krinos, it, it carries the, at least these two ideas. First, and, and fundamentally, by the way, it's to evaluate, to discern, it's to separate, i.e. right from wrong, to separate, discern things out and decide. But there's a second meaning, which is to condemn, to pronounce condemnation. What we're not to do, hear, hear this, we are not to pronounce condemnation on anyone. That's God's prerogative alone. Final judgment, you know, that's, that's a no-no. But the, the context of the verses tells us we must judge, i.e., again, evaluate, discern, separate, decide. We must judge right from wrong. Why do, why do I say the context tells us this? Well, we'll get to this. Verse six tells us there, there are some people 
who, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's strong, but Jesus describes them as dogs and pigs and, and we're, to, we're to relate to them in a certain way. Let me tell you something, you got to judge between a, you know, a dog and a pig and someone else. There's judgments to be made. Verse 15, we're gonna get there and he says, they're false prophets. You know, we, well, how do you know? Well, you gotta judge a false prophet who speak in falsehood and who speak in the truth. Verse two is just a repetition, by the way, of, of something we've already seen. It, it's this, it's that kind of that familiar proverb. You reap what you sow. Don't miss in the spiritual realm. We've, we've seen this. If you're merciful, Beatitudes, then you receive mercy. We covered this, you know, I did three weeks ago. You know, when you forgive, you're forgiven. Then there's a reciprocal uh, way that this works. And by the way, forgiven, not by people, but by God. In the way that you judge, you will be judged. Discerning, discerning vision is what he's talking about here. That is judging biblically. Yes, separate right from wrong. Now don't miss this. We do that with each other, you all. You know, why, why would we ever judge someone who doesn't know Christ for behaving not like Christ? That's craziness, that's wrong. But I'll tell you something. If you're in the family of God, then as brothers and sisters, we do correct one another. It, it is not judgmental for me to say to a man, no, you, it's wrong for you to sleep with someone who's not your wife. That's love, quite frankly. Okay, he goes from discerning vision to impaired vision. Look at verses three and four. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You all, this is one of those, I think, you had to be there type of statements in terms of getting the weight. And, and can I say this? Getting the silliness of this, getting the joke. Um, what Jesus says here, it, it, it stick with me, is so ludicrous. It, it's just so far fetched. Um, it's, it's just so blown out of proportion that the crowd, I'm talking original had to be at this point laughing, possibly at least giggling and at least hitting each other in the side because, can I say this? It's cartoonish. This looks like a Looney Tune. And, and Jesus said it for a reason. I mean, it's like, it's, it, it's so funny. And he said it so funny so that we would realize what? It's not funny. It's not funny. It's, he invites them to picture a person who's got a little tiny piece of sawdust in their eye. So you, you can't even see it, but their eyes watering a little, it's irritated. And then he pictures another person who's got a log in their eye. And may I say, when this word log, some translations say plank, it, 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 it is the beam upon which the whole roof of a house you know, is, is, is hitting upon. In other words, I don't even know how to get there other than to say, maybe for you and I, imagine a telephone pole. That, that's what he's trying to get at. This is how silly this is. So could you imagine a person with a telephone pole in, in their eye coming up to someone who's got a piece of dust and trying to get it out? We'd, we'd go, that's hilarious. It's not funny though, is it? It's not funny at all. And, and again, I said this earlier, that's why this is a family meeting. He's not talking about people that don't know him. He's not even talking about scribes and Pharisees. He's talking about Christians. 
wanna ask you to reflect just for a moment. You just think about this. You can answer it to yourself. What, what, why, why is it that we more readily see the flaw in another and not the flaw in ourselves. Just, just, just ponder that for a moment. Why do I see? I see the flaws. <laughs> I don't see them myself. It's worth pondering. I'll offer you two things for, as, as I've thought about this. Number one, and maybe you can relate, I feel better about myself when you're the problem. <laughs> it's just the truth. I, I just feel so much better about me when the problem's you. That's the fallenness in our hearts. And then secondly, I, I read something and it kind of, I, I thought about it. And I think, I think there's something to this. We confuse the desire for what is right with the desire for being right. Now I'm gonna unpack this. I'll say it again. We, we confuse the desire for what is right with the desire for being right. We, we, we put those together so I could say it like this. We make being right synonymous with what is right. I, I read a quote and I'm gonna throw it up on the screen for you. This is uh, from the Web of Lies, Willard Quine and J.S. Ullian philosophical writers. But, but they articulate this. And I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit because they hit on this. Notice what it says. The desire for what is right and the desire to have been right are two desires. And the sooner we separate them, the better off we are. The desire for what is right is the thirst for truth. On all counts, both practical and theoretical, there's nothing but good to be said for it. The desire to have been right, on the other hand, is the pride that goeth before the fall. That rings true to me. When Jesus asked, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye with a log in your own? Okay, this is, think about, think about language. We know how he's using this. It's rhetorical. There's an expected answer. This is not like pick and choose. No, there's an expected answer. And the answer, of course, is we can't. That, that, that's the expected answer. No, we can't. Unless, unless, verse five, we have clear vision. Clear vision. Look at verse five. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus doesn't say, look, just mind your own business. I'll take care of other people. He, he doesn't say, he doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say, look, I'll take care of the speck in people's eye. You just take care of you. He doesn't say that. We are called, we are commanded, can I say, to get specks out of the eyes of brothers and sisters. We are our brother's keeper. That's life in the body of Christ. 
We are obligated to be in one another's business. Can I say it that way? Now, not intrusively, not inappropriately, but I'm gonna tell you something, in genuine care and concern, which is why, if you remember at Fellowship, you know we, we have a value called better together. It's reflected across the board, but in particular in being in a group. Because I can't see the speck in your eye from here. I've gotta be with you. Not to condemn you, right? But to see the speck, to help, help you get the speck out, help you grow in Christ. You know, I've thought, I thought about this and I thought, what if y'all before, what if before I came up to someone, my wife, my children or, or, or you and, and, and to address an issue in your life that you've got a speck and I, 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 I'm gonna point this out in your life. What if before I came up, what if, what if, what if there was just this magical screen that popped up and said, password? Right, like if I got my phone, you know, right now and I tried to open it, I couldn't get in it without the password. What if before I said a word to you, this thing came up and said password and it had three little blanks. Guess what the password would be? L-O-G. <laughs> I'm being silly, but could you imagine? You'd, you'd pump the brakes, wouldn't you? you? Perhaps you wouldn't even say what you were gonna say because you, you had to punch in the password, log. Oh, what is the log in my eye? We're gonna get to that here in just a moment. We're gonna have what I'm calling a, a, a de-logging jamboree at the end here, so hang on. Uh, before I get there, uh, I've gotta move from this clear vision to what, what I think is a merciful vision, because this last verse, let's, let's hit that verse six. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I, I, isn't the Bible amazing in Jesus' words? We have gone from logs and specks to dogs and pigs. <laughs> and, and you kind of want to go, why are these together? How do they fit? Well, let me unpack this a bit. Um, in a nutshell, it has to do with Christians being discerning enough and courageous enough and loving enough to know when to stop sharing the gospel with someone. And I know just saying that, some of you are going, did he just say what I thought he said? It sounds heretical. Well, it strikes us and Jesus intended it to. <laughs> and it struck the original audience as well. Let me unpack it. You couldn't use two more despised terms for a Jew, dog and pig. I mean, this is like despicable, these people that would carry the title dog and pig. We're not talking dogs, pets, puppies. These are scavenger dogs. These are dogs that'll attack you if you get near them. They're trying to eat a piece of rotten meat, you know. Uh, pigs, unclean. Uh, you know, Jew was not even, you couldn't even own one, but, you know, certainly not eat a pig. Um, so that which is just despicable, right? That which is despicable is contrasted, and he uses these two words, holy, and then he says it's a pearl. So, so we know that this is like, ooh, this is, this is, this is dirty. This is holy, precious, like a pearl, so we go, where, okay, where does Jesus, where do we see these words in the Bible, et cetera? Well, in Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a great 
pearl, that which is holy, sanctified, set apart unto God. And so if we, if we think about that and let Jesus' words inform what he means here, it leads us to this. There are people whose value system is so profoundly out of whack that they habitually despise and dismiss and denigrate what is most precious and valuable. What would that be? The gospel of the kingdom, the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. Nothing more valuable. Therefore, he says, stop putting the gospel before those people. That's what he says. And you go, well, I thought we're supposed to share the gospel with everyone. Yes, yes, share, we are, we are. Share the gospel with everyone and all. To a point. Don't forget when Jesus sent out the 12, what did he say? Go in, preach the gospel if they receive you. Bless them if they don't. What did he say? Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next one. Paul preached the gospel to the Jews. The Jews refused to listen in Acts. Paul didn't keep knocking on you know, a concrete wall. He turned and he went to the Gentiles. There's principle here and we're just listening to the words of Jesus. We're not loving people, you all, at least those who repeatedly reject the gospel, who ridicule, demean the gospel, we're not loving them by continuing to share the gospel with them. We're putting pearls before pigs. What does a, per, what does a pig do when he bites into a pearl? He spits it out because it's not a piece of rotten grain. He, he just totally misses the value. I think this is God's mercy. Now, I, this, I, I, there's biblical warrant for this, but I think this is God's mercy for those who ridicule and reject the gospel because elsewhere in the scripture, what do we understand? That we are accountable for the truth we're given. Perhaps God in his mercy is, is removing truth from them so that when they are judged, you see. Does that make sense? So, that, so it's, a, it's an act of mercy. And God can take care of them whether he works another way to bring them to himself, right? Or they choose to reject him. Why is it in this context? I mean, why do we go from these log and plank and all of a sudden, boom, we're hit with pigs and dogs? I think it perhaps is this. It takes a log-free eye to make this kind of a discernment. That's why. So discerning vision, discerning vision. Be, be discerning and wise and compassionate in your judgment of sin in other Christians. For how you judge, you will be judged. Impaired vision. Uh, before you go to another brother or sister in Christ, okay, regarding, by the way, their little issue. <laughs> it's, they got a little issue. Remember, you got a bigger one. The log in your own eye. Clear vision. He says, take the telephone pole out of your own eye before you Help take the sawdust out of theirs. Merciful vision. Don't dishonor the gospel by sharing it with the habitually hardened rejecter of God's grace. Okay. Now, if you're, now you know, most of you are online. We, we are not close to done. We, we've got a lot to do. And so don't check out the message. Not over. The service is not over. 
we've got some application work to do. And surely it's going to focus, I think, and should on log removal. You know, Rob and I, Rob said it last week, you know, we've worked hard to say, you know, as in this Sermon on the Mount, we get to the end of a, a text. These are Jesus' words. We ask ourselves, Jesus, what does it mean to follow you? In light of what you just said, okay, then what does it mean to follow you? I'm going to offer this application, uh, and that being remove the log in your eye. Let's just keep it right there, okay? Let's work on some log removal. We'll do it individually, but we'll do it together. I'm gonna invite the worship band back up because they will help us even in this log removal because in removing logs, the work, that work is a spiritual work that God does that we participate in and we can respond in to help, help the process itself and in a sense, you know, seal that, the, the, the work of the spirit that, that he is doing in our hearts. So stick with me on this. Put your Bible down, put your iPad aside. You don't need any of that right now. It's just you and, and the Lord, and I'm gonna walk us through a log removal process. Here's the first thing we do. Close your eyes and let me just speak over you, invite you to practice these things. First thing, come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. See, you can't see the log in your own eye apart from being in the presence of Christ. I mean, there's no mirror big enough. There's no spotlight bright enough. It takes sitting with Jesus. So I, I want you to, in your mind's eye, bring yourself before Christ. Sit with Jesus. You can, in, this mo in these moments, talk to Jesus right now. Just come to your Lord and Savior. Express your gratitude for who he is and all he is. In the presence of Jesus, I want to suggest that the little sin in other people gets smaller. And the big sin you can't see in your own life gets bigger. Trust the Spirit to show you that. The second thing to do is to acknowledge the log. The Holy Spirit lives in you as you sit in the presence of Jesus. What, what log in your eye is the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind? I, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to get you to go anywhere you don't need to go. I, I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there a log in your eye? I mean, there's quite frankly, there's probably 20 at least in mine, but what's the one the Holy Spirit is showing you now? The, the, the log in your eye, that, that the attitude of your heart, um, maybe thoughts you've been thinking, um, the perspective you're holding. Um, could, could it be that you, you know, you're, you've, you've confused the two desires, the desire for what is right and the desire to be right and you've melded those and you need to separate those out? Could that be a log? Whatever that log is, name the log. Acknowledge the log.
with that log name, the third thing we do is we confess and repent. You all, to confess simply means to agree with. And so confession is saying, God, I agree with you. This log is sin. It, it is a violation of love. It is an aberration of your character. And I agree with you that it's mine. And it's sin. Confess, agree with God about it. Confess and repent. To repent is to turn from. So I, God, this is sin. This attitude I've been carrying about my own perspective. Lord, I'm, I want to tell you I agree with you it's sin. And I turn from it. I, 180 degrees, I turn from it and I'm turning to you. I don't want to follow that sin. I want to follow you. Confess and repent. finally in that space of prayer and communion with the Lord receive God's forgiveness (laughs) the log in our eye is removed by forgiveness not you forgiving someone else can I say that you experiencing the forgiveness of Christ. Nothing else strong enough to remove it. Forgiveness is when you're resting in the finished work of Jesus. This this log is wrong. And Jesus, you have forgiven me. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the grave for me because I carry this junk, this sin. And, And your word says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, yes, the moment you trusted Christ a year ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, yes, all your sins were forgiven. The experience of that forgiveness, you all, must be refreshed and renewed moment by moment every day. And so in this moment, receive anew the forgiveness of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. For that log, receive his forgiveness because in Christ, you are forgiven. Continue in a spirit of prayer. I want to invite you to keep your eyes closed. Perhaps you want to be on your knees if you're at home. As these words are sung over you, sit with Jesus. This is the Christian life. Communion with Christ. And let these words remind you and be an invitation to you 
keep on coming to Christ.